Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are about to join us and those of you who will be joining us later in the day, in the week, in the hour, I am so, so happy for this next guest who I am a big, big fan of because she's an absolutely amazing writer, producer, and filmmaker. Uh, I am talking about the Rachel K. Afori of the Audacity Incorporated. Ms. Afori, sure. welcome to a conversation with. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome. Thank you for having me. You know, we go back. It's just we have yes. this COVID thing. We haven't seen each other. So it's so good to see you in, yeah. in person. <laughs> you know, what? I think the last time, no, I know the last time we saw each other was at the award show. And we set out, and, and I was thinking about this the other day. It was it was me, you. Oh, I can't remember the other young yeah, lady's yeah. name. But we sat outside yeah. for like an hour, two hours, and just talked. Yes, we did. And that just popped up in my head. I was like, "Wow, it's been that long!" But it's it, it is so good to see you, and you are doing some absolutely amazing, amazing things. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you Sunday. You know, so we can we can we can uh, chop it up a little more in depth. But we're going to we're going to get this thing started because I know you are pressed for time. Welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business, but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with, and I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. I'm here though. I'm here. Okay. Okay. Well, we're we going we to make it do what it do. So Rachel, you've been in this game for quite some time and you're you're really doing some phenomenal things in the business, but how, how did you get your start? That's an interesting question. It depends on what phase of starting we're talking about. I've loved the industry my whole life, right? That's how it always starts. We fall in love with it somehow. And mine was just watching movies and going to plays. I fell in love with theater first community theater, church theater, going to actual plays, not even Broadway, just like random, like <laughs> run of the mill plays and just seeing audience react to it. Then I got to be a part of them on the acting side first, you know, as a little kid, it's like, oh yeah, she's this outgoing, loud mouth kid, put her in the, <laughs> in the play. And I remember the moment, I, I truly remember the moment I fell in love with it. I, it was a I was the, I was playing the daughter of the main character and she, it was a very dramatic scene. And I, we had been playing, you know, in rehearsal the whole time. And I remember um, the day of our opening night and I looked out and people were like crying or shocked. And I knew we were playing, you know, I was, I think, I don't know, nine years old, seven years old. And that was like, man, what we're doing in play is affecting these people in a way where they can release emotion. I'm sure it wasn't those words at seven years old, but it was mm -hmm. that feeling of like, we're doing something really cool here. So I only knew acting. And I, I think that it's really important for me in the position I'm in to show little people, because I won't just say women, but little people that, you know, you don't have to only do the thing that you see first, which is always usually acting. That's usually what we see first because we watch a movie, we see a play. We don't see what's happening behind it. 
And then the the issue is when it comes to, and I know I'm jumping here, but no, no. it comes with, you know, cultural things, things that deal with the sex of a person, the age of a person, the color of a person. We tend to be told what we're good at. So for me, it wasn't just seeing acting first. When you're starting to ask questions, people kind of, no, no, like you can smile. You look like such and such. You belong here. And then also when it comes to the media, then you don't see anyone that looks like you, talks like you, where is from where you're from, doing another thing. So you're like, okay, acting. So I literally, out of like, I don't even know the proper word, but not obedience, but out of conforming, would always tell people I wanted to be an actor up until I was an older teenager. And I knew I didn't, that wasn't it. Like, it wasn't that I didn't like it. I enjoyed acting on stage. I got to be in my first film set in, in high school. And it was like, oh, this is cool. But I like, I was so intrigued with everybody else, like on camera, but I'm like, what the heck are they doing over there? And why is this person not looking at all at what we're doing? That's what made me know the important thing that's happening, that person looking down at a spreadsheet, that person that turns away from the camera, when that director calls action, like, what is this all about? Because it's definitely not about only what we're doing on screen. But in, in the meantime, though, I had an interest in creativity. I had an interest in leadership. I had an interest in making things happen. So all of that, if someone listened to me, that more fits into producing, writing, directing. So to be told this is your place, thank goodness and thank God I was very rebellious of a child. <laughs> And also I had a very strong mind and strong upbringing. So that's not where I stayed, but that's truly what happens a lot of times. Like where we, we as whether it be woman, black people, Latina, like whatever it is, the thing that someone tells you because of this, you fit here. Then we, we hold that as something that is identity rather than something that is their limitation. So yeah, started with the love of, of just storytelling, an audience reacting to that storytelling. Then I started writing plays, started putting them on like at school, you know, helping write write a scene at church, that kind of thing. And then I was able to kind of cross over into film because I really did love movies. Like I was obsessed, especially because as a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. It was always like sneaking to like <laughs> see certain things. Or my, my aunt, Aunt Nita, she's one of my favorite aunts. She's, I'll see her this weekend. And she would, when I would go to her house, I got to see other types of movies than what like my mom, Gone with the Wind, would show me. So I'm like, whoa, it's like, it's this whole world like that exists that you can create and tell stories in beyond what you can do in theater because you can create things that are not really in front of you when it comes to film. Anyway, I digress. So I, I fell in love with that. And then when it crossed into film, it was, I got a, I can't even say job. I was volunteering first, but I volunteered to help a producer out who was uh, doing a short. It was in Philly. I'm not gonna say the name of it because I might have to tell a bad story about it later, but mm -hmm. I, <laughs> He needed help and he was asking around, hey, you know any like young scrappy people that are in film? Now I wasn't in film, but I went to a lot of events. Like mm -hmm. I was like sneaking into events. This is like 16, 17 years old. Like I made sure I was talking to everyone at every film, like every, I'm sorry, every film, every uh, play I was in, I was shaking hands and kissing babies afterwards, trying to find out how do you get over to the other side? And someone was like, oh yeah, I met this girl. And I was, I had never been on the film set outside of acting one time at that point. And they're like, she's she's a fireball. She just graduated high school. I had, I was I think I was in my second year of high school. But it's just the perception of people. I didn't tell them that. It's just like you know, I told I think I told the person I'm about to finish school. And he was like, okay, have her call me. I called him. I um I volunteered to help him on his short. So that was like the first like seeing from okay, how does a script mm -hmm. then go into pre production, 
because I helped him a lot with pre-production. And then how does that pre-production equal us filming and how many things go wrong if you don't plan right and all those things. And from there, he recommended me, and this was right after I graduated, to an assistance job. I assisted a CEO of a production, a production company, Rick Kennedy, really great guy. A lot of old school Philly and New York filmmakers know him. He was a monster back in the day. He's going to be mad at me for saying back in the day, but this was a while ago. It is ago. what it is. It is. <laughs> Um, got to, uh, be his assistant, like not, and this is another thing, like, don't feel like you're, oh, uh, well, I don't want to answer phones and get coffee and be the, that's what I did. I did all the grunt work because if you're smart, you know, if you're doing grunt work really well, people will give you opportunity or maybe they won't, but you're learning because you're around it. You're paying attention. You're getting in certain conversations. And then on top of it, either, even though I'm just an assistant, I'm going to set when it's, when it's time to film. Right. So I'm able to meet people that maybe. Maybe that person's not giving me a chance, but now I meet this other person on set. You know, it's it all just flows together. So that's how I started. And then from there, I just figured it out and asked a lot of questions and worked really hard. See, now you you just blew up my questions. <laughs> you really did. Because <laughs> I'm like, I was supposed to see this is this is what we were talking about earlier. Because see, I have to go back. Yes. Because you said a few things. First of all, when you said you were talking with everyone, yeah. the, the, the word that kept jumping into my head was collaborate. Yes. Yes. Before you probably even knew what that was. Not saying that you're, you're not smart, but yeah. Yeah. that's just a word that at 16, year, 16 years, years old, you're not thinking of, oh, I'm actually collaborating mm -hmm. and building relations, relationships with people. Yeah. And as far as being the the grunt on the set, you're 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 basically in a master class for free. Yep. So talk about that. Yeah, I think that there's a couple things that's happening right now. Um, I'll answer it with like kind of a different way. It's like one because of I think social media, YouTube. There's a lot of information, so people know that people take advantage of people and bad things happen, right? So we know that. So it's good because it gives us knowledge, but also the where it harms it is because you have a lack, you don't have that ignorance walking into the industry. You're now like, you ain't taking advantage of me and you have a chip on your shoulder. I didn't have that chip because it was no other way. I had no other information. There was no like, you know, like, like videos you can watch online where you can figure it out. I, I didn't have a chip. It was just like, I'll do whatever it takes to learn. And I think that it's necessary right now for anyone entering and I don't and it's not just young people whoever is trying to start something or trying to shift where they are in the industry or into the industry they need to know you're going to have to be used and that's not a bad word like it's not bad to be used what's bad is when you don't know you're being used and you don't know what you're being used for and you don't know what you're getting in return so I know that the only thing I had to be used at the time was my work ethic I didn't have any experience I didn't have at the time, I didn't have any like schooling or any like instruction. I had work ethic and I had ability to like, just like wow a crowd. I could, and I knew if I can get a room and shake a hand, I could be impressive. And the reason I say that is because not in a place of impressive, like boasting myself, but I knew the, the, the pieces of things that people react to by that point. Not from film and not from that. It's just like, you, you know, you live in a world, you see what works, you're observant. And from there, you use that skill set to then get yourself to the next level. And my my level was so low. You're talking about mm -hmm. someone that knew nothing about film at all other than watching a movie. So I knew that I didn't have anything else. Now, some people come into the industry with a big chip on their shoulder because they have schooling, because they have a lot of knowledge, et cetera. And that's fine. But still know 
you don't have that experience. And even if you have experience in this other field, I was talking to someone at an event um, in New York yesterday, I'm sorry, two days ago, where she's, she's like a monster in her field, but now she's coming into film down mm -hmm. here. But the, the woman, she was amazing because she had no ego. And I was like, you're going to make it. I don't know you too much. I don't know your skill, but you're going to make it because she had a lack of ego and the ability to calm down and say, I'm going to do this. But that's also trusting the universe, trusting God that when I come down and serve and the more people I serve and the more I do it well and the more I am allowing myself to be used in a certain way, that other good opportunities are going to come. And then I can find out what opportunities to leave behind at each step that I take. But the first step, people all, they're thinking now I have to, make sure no one uses me. It's like, you're at step one, you're going to be used. <laughs> Unless you have tons of money. Or if you had like an uncle, like, like, you know, a lot of people talk about a specific particular director right now, like he's amazing, but people always discount what he's done because he had an in in the industry. I'm like, a lot of people have ends, they don't capitalize like this guy, he's brilliant. But you know, you have to have something else. But I'm saying like, that could be your in. But really, you're going to be used in some manner. And the level of you, the way the level of how much you have to be used, which is service. When we're serving someone, we're being used. So it's like, take the dirty word out. Like they're not using you, you're serving them. Don't serve someone too long though, that's treating you like crap. Don't serve someone too long that you know there is no opportunity involved. Now, some people find that like limiting because they, day one, they see it's a bad situation. They're like, oh, I'm out. You, you literally just threw away three opportunities that were coming if you stayed a month longer. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's like allowing like the suck, allowing the 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 part that you don't like to exist enough, and, and being like true to yourself to where yeah, sometimes it's abusive situations. You don't want to stay in that. I'm not, I don't mean that. But if it's something that's uncomfortable, that's good because you're growing. If something that's uncomfortable, it's good because it's maybe not the place for you, which is good. If you're just starting out and it's not the place for you, that's great. You got tons of room to go somewhere mm -hmm. else. So allowing yourself to like be okay that it's not what you want, right? Like for the future or be okay that you feel used and you're not getting enough out of the situation that you're putting in. That's the law of receptivity right there. Keep putting it in more than what you're getting because then you're building up this residual that's going to come back to you in ways that you'll be shocked because most of the opportunities that I've gotten where it's like, whoa, that worked, was not the one I was putting the huge amount of effort in. It was not the situation I was like, oh, okay, one more day. It wasn't that situation. It's something else because remember, you're you're building this like this kinetic and this potential energy that's going to unleash kinetically. And that doesn't mean it's going to unleash at that job or that particular film or that particular person. A lot of people complain, like I put five years in and I got nothing out. That's a lie. For one, you have a bad, a bad attitude because you put five years in and you learn so much. Even it was just how not to be when you get in the position. <laughs> and you also learned how to do the job better because you're you're seeing it and you're doing things. But you also put five years in into the universe. I believe in God. So I'm going to say into like what God can bless by serving for five years in something that wasn't your dream or wasn't like the step that you want to be at. So now you're like getting a it's amazing the people that will shake your hand and give you an opportunity and you're like, I didn't do anything for them. And you feel mm -hmm. a little unworthy, but then you have to remember, oh yeah, I was serving for the whole amount of time here. Or I was putting up with this person here. So, you know, it just keeps coming back. Like everything in life is cyclical and it's a flowing energy. It's, it's in and out. So don't be scared to put out. It's like people are waiting to get something mm -hmm. and then give. It's like, it's opposite. It's really opposite.
think of parenting, like babies first are a, a parent is here and they're giving to that child, giving to that child. You ain't, you're getting nothing. The, everyone that's a parent, the first whatever amount of months sucks. You're getting nothing from this baby. No sleep. Like, yeah, you love the baby, but you're like, you're draining you. They're taking, especially on a woman, they're taking all your substance out of you as well. You're not getting sleep. But then the baby starts talking or they smile at you and it just keeps getting like more and more. Then you follow this person you, and you have grown kids like my son, he's 17. Like then he's helping me out like he carries my bags now. He's like um, says something that I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So now mm -hmm. you're saying something. It's the way the universe works. It's just what it is like the giving tree book like the tree kept giving like it's giving like let's let's not be scared to give to serve to be used you have to protect yourself from abuse but you don't have to be scared in that space because it's really putting a blockage on opportunities to come through you if you just want to think practically but then if you think about how the world works it's just you're you're doing things you're learning things you're growing you're expanding your horizon and just find the things that you can you know capitalize on in that moment rather than thinking how this moment is not for me this moment is not my thing. This moment is not enough for me. Hmm. I know that was super wordy, so I'm sorry if I said no, that. no, 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 no. Because you know what, you you know this is phenomenal. Because I'm going to go back and look at this again myself. But <laughs> you said something so interesting about when someone's on a film set and they're not looking at it from basically a servant type of position and and i know that you read a lot of books outside of filmmaking and i am when i when i watched a couple of your interviews i was shocked at how much alike we are because That's we talk so long when we talk yeah, <laughs> you know because i read books on film but if you look at my library behind me john maxwell tony oh. robbins and and um ed my eric thomas you know, people like that. And I want you to talk a little bit about when someone is on a film set and they're in that situation and they're thinking that things are not working out. What would you suggest they read outside of film? Because that's a muscle that they have to strengthen. Yeah. So what what would you suggest? And again, I just blew my question list all <laughs> it's just like throw it away. So what would you tell a young actor, filmmaker, producer, whatever that's coming on a set and, and things are not going well and they don't know how to handle that. How, how would you tell them how to, how to navigate something like that? Yeah. Um, this business will kill you. Like it's hard. It's a, it's, it's, a, you know, anything with big money on, on the line and such, someone that works as a, in corporate America says the same, but the thing about this is on top of it, you're getting rejection for something that's either a dream or a life's goal, or it's like so personal as creatives in this business, they're being rejected to something that's attached to their identity because they're creatives. So it feels very personal. So there's a lot you have to consider outside of building your skill set in film. You have to consider, you have to build yourself to handle the grit, the ugly parts of this business forever. Because, you know, Sometimes we act like, oh, at the beginning it sucks and then it gets better. You mm -hmm. sit down with Jerry Bruckheimer, I'm telling you, it still sucks in certain things, but you know, you just get more and more freedom, more and more power. But the thing about it is it's like, yes, I'll give some books to read specifically, but also it's like, who are you surrounding yourself with? What is your self-talk? 
what is it that you're tying your identity and your worth to outside of film? Because you can say like, oh, I know I'm a good writer and I'm going to hold on to that. And I'll never, I'll never listen to anyone that tells me otherwise. You hear that 15 times that we don't want your script. You're going to start to doubt it. And that's okay. You should, and there's no creative form, art form in the world that you don't have doubt. The, the difference is though, if you have a strong foundation that is not tied to your thing that you're trying to sell, which is yourself, your art, your script, your camera abilities, whatever you're trying to sell. And that goes for film industry and others. If you can have something that you know is good about you and valuable about you, that is not affected by the nose, that I found is the most sustainable way. And the way that you get that is first starting out like your surroundings. You have to be surrounded by some people that, and sometimes, honestly, I have to say this, my surroundings that were positive were not the people I was with in film. It wasn't, it's not always like, oh, I'm going to get on a good set. No, go to the bad set, but just know when you leave set, you need to be able to call your friend, maybe call your mentor, call your pastor, your whoever, someone that can pour goodness into you. And the thing about it is that people get so, what I find is they get so tossed here and there by people's words because they don't have anything to ground it in. So before you hear even your pastor, your friend, your whoever, your your agent, before you hear what they have to say, it should be connecting with something in you that is verifying it. And that's something that you can deny because it doesn't fit with you. And the only way to do that is to then have some some solids within yourself. So I read I read Proverbs every day. I stopped it last year and I kid you not, this was the first year in like maybe, I don't even know, most of my adult life where I wasn't reading every day. My mindset was completely different last year and leading into this year. Well, the end of last year, actually this year. So not only was this a practice that I built as a young person and I and I know that it was I know in theory I was stronger because of it, but like taking that away for even a year like not staying on it after COVID <laughs> really like change. You start to hear your thoughts and you're like, why am I thinking so negative? Or why am I not reacting to this person? Right. And where's that ego coming from? Or where is my, why are my feelings hurt? Instead of me just thinking, okay, they don't like it. You know? So it's like, you have to feed yourself outside of people, like get a grounded sense of self. And that sounds a little soft and like, woo, grounded sense of stuff, but it's like a grounded sense of self in the world around you. And that's people that's, you're what you're good at when you you know how to smile make someone's day you know how to give a special word you know how to I don't know work really hard whatever it is but it can't be like oh I'm good at writing what else are you good at that makes you good like you as a person not your ability like you and I know everyone can think of how can I serve better outside of film and all those things like how can I just help a person it just makes you feel better and you're like oh wow I'm a really nice person I don't have to feel like I'm a bad person today because someone rejected me or whatever. So I think it's just building yourself with reading and you know all those things and surrounding yourself with people. So you're you're reading something, you're seeing the good, you're hearing the good, you're experiencing good. That's why you serve, and then you can handle the bad a little bit better. A good book, I would say, is The Dream Giver. I always tell people to read that because it goes through like. Uh, a lot of rejection is like a parable and he, he gets rejected and people are telling him no. Um, another good book to have is How Successful Th- How Successful People Think for, by John Maxwell, I would say is good. Anything John Maxwell is good because he's yes. all about mindset and leadership. Anything that helps your mind, like read something from your that somebody you like, whether it be Tony Robbins or whoever, that deals with the mind. And me personally, like I said, I read Proverbs, I read the Bible whatever your religious beliefs are, read something from that that tells you a, a, a statement that you can hold on to that is true no matter what happens to you. 
like no matter what. So if I'm going through the worst of times or the best of times, I know for sure this is who I am. And I think mm. that that's the thing that keeps you sustained in any industry, but especially ours, because it's it's brutal. <laughs> it is. It is. But, on, you know, and, and to follow up on that, do you think that most people get caught up in this and, you know, you, you'll go to a party and you'll ask someone, well, tell me about yourself. And they start listing their job, their, their job qualifications. And I'm like, I didn't ask you that. Yeah. I said, tell me about you. So do you think people get caught up in it? Well, I'm a writer and I'm a cinema photographer and I'm a this, but that's not who you are. That's what you do. So do you think that so many creatives can't differentiate between the two that they tend to, you know, when, when that question is asked and that's how they kind of get caught in that, in that, 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 I guess, whirlpool for lack of a better term that they're confusing what they do with who they are. Absolutely. And I think we, as a culture, right, it's not just our industry. Everyone does that. It's kind of like, it's just our culture. It's a capitalistic society. It's just what we do. It's like, okay, whatever I'm making money with, that's who I am. So that's something that's too big for us to like control. But I think that um, something you just said, I think that it's, it's when you come into a place of, you know, like you said, at a party or whatever, like who you are, we see it with like actors a lot. And, you know, like Daniel Day-Lewis, every time he played a, a character, he would go and have therapy to then get ready for the next one. But people know it and they're very cognizant of it in acting, but they don't realize it's the same thing when it comes to any type of creative. So I'm holding my identity into something that I really have to because it's my art. I'm an artist, right? Like I'm a creative. You're saying something, but then your job's tied to it. It's kind of like the person that's like a musician for uh, a church. It's like, mm -hmm. this is your job, but it's also a ministry. It gets really convoluted. So that's what we do. We are a convoluted industry. It's like ancestral in a way. It's like you're you're saying that this is this is who I am, which is true. A creative is a personality, right? But then you're saying that this is what I do. I write. And you're not knowing the am part. So the am is what we need to build just as much as. So the thing that we, and this is where I can just, and not, I will sum it up. When you see someone in the industry like shoot up and then fall, usually it's because their I am uh, growth is not going with I do growth. Mm. So now you have success here and you're here. So once that something happens here or something happens here, it just like crumbles. It's like sudden because they're just not building. They're being told who they are because of their gift. I remember uh, <laughs> I don't even want to quote him because he's I. I don't, I don't particularly, I'm not a fan of this person, but you can find good in anybody and mm -hmm. what they say, but he said, you know, Rachel, and he said this to me, this, I'm, I'm laughing. We're going to talk about this later. He said, Rachel, when people come up to you excited, they don't like you. They like your gift. And that's so true. And I think every creative needs to hold on to that good or bad. They're not, not liking you because they don't like your gift. They're not liking you because of your gift. They like what you do. So mm -hmm. you have to separate. I am from, I do. And you, you, you know, at a party, yeah, everyone has an agenda. So they're all saying, they're all like listing their resume. So that's fine if that's what you want to do. That's not my approach, but that everyone that can work for some. But really when it comes down to is like, really when you think of I am, are you thinking of I do? Like switch that off and make sure that you're able to take a break from the I do and like focus on I am. And I'm saying this like such passion right now because I literally took a hit, like because 
so much, you get so busy and you get so um, attached to what you're doing that you you can neglect the I am or you can start to allow voices into that space that shouldn't be there. So just being mindful and then taking like breaks from everything. Like I'm really, everyone knows I'm a workaholic, but I'm learning how to like take breaks for the sake of like a pulse check. Like, okay, wait, who's around me talking right now? Who do I really feel good about what they're saying when I'm around? Who do I see that is a draining piece of my life? Do they need to be there? Or am I getting something out of that situation? Or is there a way for me to capitalize or even change the in, the energy that they're giving me? Like just taking assessments of ourselves while we're busy, while we're doing, while we're in pursuit, while we're hustling. Because everyone's like, oh, you got to be in the hustle. No days off. It's like, time out. That is toxic. <laughs> like, you need to take a day off eventually and make sure because then you don't, you're not even aware that you're about to be go for a fall because you're so like in the moment that you don't even realize you're about to be hit with something you're not ready for. <laughs> because you didn't work on the I am, you didn't work on who who I am. What am I, what do I truly believe? What do I, how am I talking to myself? How am I treating people? You know, this industry, they treat you like crap sometimes. How did that happen? Because they were so focused on the goal that they didn't, they forgot like, oh yeah, I'm a person. I should be nice to people. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Like we're not, literally we are not as, as serious as our um, industry is. Like and this last project I just did, like sometimes like you're running late and it's like people don't realize that the angst comes from a place that they don't have to think about. Like mm-hmm. every minute you're still here, that's $5,000 for me. Extra on top of this very expensive day. So yeah, I'm stressed and I'm speaking to you with firmness and with um, urgency. But at the end of the day, it is not war. As much as we operate in a way of military in some ways, like it's very similar. But at the end of the day, no one's going to die. I mean, in other situations, obviously when we don't do the right thing in those movies, but you know what I mean? It's not life or death. So we can still be people. We can still treat people with some form of civility. We can, you know, try a little harder to be, you know, persons in this (laughs) production space. So I think that it's, you know, assessment is so important for how you're treated and for how you're treating people and what you're doing and for identity. The I am, the I am, the, that big part of who we are. Yeah. So that's great. So I actually get to ask a question (laughs) because you said something. So with that, what makes an effective leader when you're on set? Because you know what? You touched on on, on some things and actually I'm, I'm dealing with something like that right now with creating boundaries and saying no. So what makes an effective leader on a film set? And when do you have to pull out those no's? And when do you kind of have to tell someone, okay, I I love your input, but this is my show. Have you, have you ever had to deal with a situation such as that? Yeah. I couldn't wait to ask you that. Today, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes first, yes. Leadership. It's this really good book. I said I was going to mention books and I didn't earlier, but uh, you win in the locker room first. It's a really good book. It's written by a, fil- a football coach. It's not a film mm-hmm. book, but it's written by a leader. But it's the idea that even just the title, you win in the locker room first. So you're a lot of times what I see that you you see on set people establishing their position. I'm talking about leadership. If you're a gaff, uh, a, a grip, this is not necessarily for you. I'm talking about if you're in a, a department head all the way up to producer, EPs, et cetera. If you're in any form of leadership on that set, 
you should have established your position and how what your expectations are, how you're going to treat people, how you're how you're going to talk people, how high of an expectation it is, what the environment feels like. So many things that you need to be pre-planning and then pre-giving so that when it is time to confront someone and put a foot down to do the nose, to do the et cetera, it doesn't feel like a blow to them, like they are, where that come from? And that's mm-hmm. where you get a lot of conflict. Now, some people are jerks and you're going to have conflict no matter what, but there is ways, there are ways, excuse me, of pre-planning to where you're establishing something. So someone knows how to react to you. Someone knows what you expect. A lot of times in leadership, we blame our people so much. These people are this, these people are that, they have bad attitude, they're lazy, they're not moving fast enough. This particular director is off the handle and trying to spend too much money. Did you ever sit down and talk to them when they first sat down and either read the script or if they're a writer director and asked them some questions that told you that this person was gonna fly off the hand? You should have known that. You should have known they had a spending problem or that they're belligerent when they don't get their way or that like, you know, you're pre-planning these things. So a lot of times we're as leaders, we're making the mistakes too early, like too late. I mean, I'm sorry, we make the mistakes early and we're trying to fix them too late. So first, do everything you possibly can to know your people and to before that, of course, you need to know yourself and know what you want on your set, know what you want in your department. I'm speaking to those department heads as well to know that, but then delivering that that knowledge of what you want, but also knowing what they want, what they expect, how they operate. Now, that's not being nice. It has nothing to do with care or nice and all this, the words that people think are soft in leadership. It has to do with strategy. Because the more you know the people, the more you understand the people, the better you can lead the people without resistance. Some people, I remember it was a, a meeting and I was talking to the group collectively. And afterwards, I had to change my tone and pull someone aside and talk to them. Now, the reason I knew that was because the room of the people I was with, they're the type of people that are like they're activators, we call them. They get stuff done. They're going, going, going. So you got to pause them. You got to stop them. And you got to speak really harshly sometimes to them at the beginning. Like you have to like, hey, what I need from you is like those people. But one person in that group was not that. They're more the sensitive one. They're the more creative. They're the more introspective one. And they also were an introvert too. So I need to pull them to the side and just bring it back down and tell them, hey, just so you know, that was for a few others. But for you, I just want you to know, I'm, I really appreciate what you've been doing. I I see it. I appreciate it. If you just do these few tweaks, I think that you're going to you're gonna be so proud of yourself. Because I know they, that that's their motivation. Like they just want to be proud of themselves. It's not about, oh my gosh, Rachel's upset. We got to get it right. That does not motivate that person. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know that, now I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl is like literally crumbling in a corner. I, I can't soften up for her. Sometimes you can. That doesn't mean it changes who you are. It just changes how you deliver a message. It's the same message. I'm just delivering it differently to that person. So in a collective group, sometimes you can't. In a moment of war, like day of, you can't. You have to deliver a certain way. But by then, you've already established a relationship. By then, you've already shown them what they needed to see. They feel like, wow, they see me. When, when the people believe the leader sees them and they believe in them and they know that they can do something good, it changes a lot of things. Because then when I'm correcting, it's not from a place of, oh, I think. They swear I can't do my job. Hmm. Instead, it's like, whoa, okay, what am I doing here? What what can I adjust? Because she she believes in me. Mm-hmm. He believes in me. So why would they be telling me this? It's not because they doubt my ability. It's not because they're being rude. It's not because they they whatever. It's because they want the best outcome and they care about me. That's a whole nother type of leadership. Now that care comes in all shapes. Now you're talking about style. 
how someone cares, you know, the, the people that love hard, the people that are, hey, guys, super encouraging. You met Chad Morton. Like, he's like, he will encourage the crap out of you until you do the right thing. That's his style. Everyone has different styles. But at the basis of the core of it, it's belief in your team and telling them you believe in them, edifying their ability, and then telling them, okay, but <laughs> I need you to do this better. I need you to do this different. I need you to accept what I'm saying. It's a no but only because the outcome is this, or I don't have time to explain it, but you know, I'm care about the outcome more than anything. I'm not being egotistic. I'm not like pushing my will on you. I'm just saying it's a no for this, or I need you to do this because of this. Or if I don't have time to explain, I need you to do this. We'll talk about it later. And they trust that I will follow back. Even if I didn't get sleep that day, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up with a text. Like, I'm sorry, but it was uh whatever, you know, I hope that made sense. And answered it, the question. It, it really did. And, and I think that when you lead like that from example and people see that you're leading from a place of i have your best intentions in mind they tend to step up yeah that that's 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 what i found but let's yeah. talk about one of my favorite films what death leaves behind oh. winner at the philadelphia independent film awards a couple years ago if you were there it was whoop, whoop. that was an amazing movie thanks and when I was actually listening to your interview on Film Courage, I was surprised at um, the amount of detail that you went into talking about the film and not just the good parts. And, and I don't think that people truly understand what takes place on a film set. So, so first of all, how did, you guys come up with the concept. Well, you know, I know, but I want the audience to know how you came up with the concept for the film and how long did it take you guys to make it? And the score, the score was, was absolutely unbelievable. How did you guys manage to get some, cause I can't remember the gentleman's name, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he was, he was pretty, pretty high, high caliber. So how did you guys actually get him to score that film? Before you. Yeah, Tessos, yeah. Um, well, one, the concept was not myself or Scott. Scott's the director. It was Chad mm -hmm. Morton. Is Chad Morton's concept. He based it off of uh, a true story that happened to his cousin, where he received an, a transplant, a kidney transplant, and started having nightmares. And those nightmares were nonstop every night until he had the organ removed. So Chad, being a wonderful writer and creative, he decided, whoa, okay, we never really got answers on what these dreams were, but he knew the dreams. His cousin told him the dreams verbatim. And he wanted to expand on that creatively and make a script, a story about that. Chad is also the executive producer. So he went out, pitched it to different people, tried to get funding, and he actually ended up funding it himself. Chad funded himself because he couldn't get the the right people to believe in it at the time because he hadn't he hadn't done a feature in at the time. So coming to how do we get all these different wonderful creatives to work on it you know I talked about Chad a moment earlier he's a super encourager like there's certain people in this industry you meet uh, anywhere in the world that they just know how to sell a story without not a salesmanship it comes from a just an excited encouraging place and Chad being the executive producer trickled down to everyone and you know everyone that knows this film world and the, the structure of it and film the producer is is in, in charge, but you honor the executive producer, however that 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 relationship works. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes they want more or less of say, et cetera. But for me, it was like, man, Chad 
like put that in me about this story. And I was able to hire people with that same energy on top of it, you know, just my ability to hire people. But Chad truly was the, the, the birth of that, not just the birth of the story, but also the birth of the mindset of like, I want to make this thing. It's interesting, but I want to make it great for all the people involved. And I could say that honestly, you know, I've never worked on a project before that where I could say that honestly to people. Mm-hmm. And I like to be honest when I'm selling someone on a project. I, I want to be truthful, but I could truly look someone in the eye and say, hey, we have no money. <laughs> this is a low budget, but I promise you, you will be attached to this project and honored in a way, not only in the decision making, but also in the praise you will get, the opportunities you will get the zeal of making this worth your while, because I'm telling you the money comes from a good place and it comes from the writer. So on top of it, we're going to get to play. We're going to get to be creative and I'm not going to stop you because the money guy that doesn't know anything but business does not get where you're coming from. So the creatives were allowed to play and be free with a lower budget, but they were able to just express themselves a little bit freer because they had encouragement from Chad. They had a lack of, you know, there was no studio in this. It was totally independent. And to do a feature completely independently, not just independent as in like, oh, we're doing without a studio, but also independently with funding. Mm. The funding came from the concept writer, like it came from him. We were able to just allow creatives to be creatives. As a producer, and I'm a creative producer, but I still do not tell people no about the creative unless it's going against something that I know is going to affect the outcome of a film. The only person that should say no or yes to creative is a, is a director. I truly believe that. And, it, and it's not just for the sake of giving, empowering that director, but it's also for the sake of, at the end of the day, I want that director to really feel like it was it was a such and such buy. Like that directed by story by is always going to be listed as a director. It's not the producer. So who am I to now tell them, I don't like that. Unless I'm like, I don't like that because an audience won't accept it. Or I don't like that because it's going to make my job harder to sell. Or I don't like that because I know we can't pay for it. That's my position. That, and it's hard sometimes too, because a lot of a lot of producers are creatives themselves, but you have to know what position you're playing in that moment. You have to know because you start to war with yourself on like, it's not your film. So when it's story by, you don't want that director. And you hear these stories all the time where the director goes to accept an award and they say something a little off collar, but it's because they don't feel like it's theirs. The editing room ripped it up. Uh, this executive producer put their foot in it too much. This producer decided to change the actor from a woman to a man, whatever it is. It doesn't feel like theirs anymore. It needs to feel like theirs. And the only way that happens is they are the ones to tell the the cinematographer, no, I don't like that lighting. And I think that we should go this way. And the only way I step in in that space is to say, actually, that look is going to affect me selling this as a horror. Or that look is going to affect me selling this as a family movie. It's too dark. I know you love this dark, moody look, but you want me to sell this. I, we have to sell this as a family movie. I'm not talking about what definitely behind it's not a family movie. <laughs> um, but you want me to tell it to the family movie, but you're like, ooh, look at this filter. Nope, it's a no. But not because I creatively don't like it. My my position is because it's not going to work for the bottom line. Creative talk stops once that film starts rolling from my space. I, I'm like, go right ahead. The edit, and now I have something to say because it's like it's affecting a lot of people that I have to think of. I can't just think about the director, but I'm not I'm not taking that away from them. I totally forgot your question now because I'm just chatting. No, 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 no. That was actually good because you just said something. And again, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna close that. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I love it. You just said something, and it was like, wow. 
just talking about changing the filter because you now have to sell it. So I'm sure you've you've run as a producer, you've run into filmmakers that say, no, 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 no. It's got to be this way. It's got to be this way. But the one thing, and I heard this on another podcast, I can't remember the, the lady that said it, but she said that you have to make sure that your films are always commercially viable. And you just basically said that without saying it, because <laughs> your film is if if we're selling a family film and it has a scene uh, like a dream sequence from Death Leaves Behind with with the with the score. That's not commercially viable for that particular market. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I'm sure you've run into that where you have some creatives and they're very adamant about the fact that this is how I want it. Yeah. And this is how it's going to be. Hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. So yeah. then as the producer, what is it your job to then do, do, excuse me, to shift their mindset if if they want this thing in theaters, they want it on streaming services and they want it sold? Yeah, I guess it really depends, number one, what type of project it is, because a lot of times directors just don't have a say in it, right? Like mm -hmm. they just, they're, but that usually when we're working in independence or lower budget, or especially when you're not dealing with a distributor that is like, like Netflix, for instance, they allow players to play. They really mm -hmm. do. The director has a lot of say and you have to redirect them with some form of some form of equality in the power. You have to think of it like this. Again, we're talking about we pre-plan our, our leadership, right? When you first talk mm -hmm. to that director, you found out their why. You should have. If you're already in the space, like we could talk about that. But first, you should have found out their why. So director may not care about the distribution. They would just want to tell this story. It's been burning in them for years. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm finally get a chance. So you cannot motivate them to make a change because of the reasons you have to make it because of the distribution. So now I need to motivate it off of their why. And usually, even if they, a lot, most, most at this level, at this, not level is in this year, 2022, going to 2023, most people, because of the fullness of the knowledge now, they care about distribution. But let's say someone doesn't. All directors care about the audience, not in a way of like, oh, I'm selling out for the audience, but they care that someone's going to watch this and someone's going to like it. It's the reason why the first time the film is shown, the directors throw up or they pace the back of the room. You know, they just it's it. Everything they're doing is for the audience, even if that audience is, you know, this very small group of people that they want to impress. So maybe they don't care about the distributor, maybe they don't care about the business but you have to find their why to be able to motivate them. So usually I, t I tell them, listen, I cannot get as many people as should see, should see, <laughs> all those S's, should see this beautiful work. 
you, what you've done is amazing. Edify, edify, edify to you shoot yourself in the head. Mm. Edify over and over. And I'm sorry for making that reference, but edify over and over, but then say, but how can I deliver it? If leave butts out sometimes with creatives, if you are limiting me to, to sell in on paper in words that this is what this is, but you're giving me this visual. Mm-hmm. Now the people you want to he- see it, like, you know, this, uh, the pre-prom and now I think this is allowed to say pre-prom and right now, the director told me that their why is for grandmothers, like grandparents and children being watch this film. So I know down the line, if he's doing something that's going to turn off a grandmom, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know his why. And I could tell him, hey, you have to take this. This particular scene has to be adjusted or this particular edit needs to be softened up or this whatever. A good movie to watch. Man, what's the name of that film? It stars Robert De Niro as the producer. Do you know that movie? And it's... Uh, Man, if I could think of the name of the film. Did he did he play in it? Yeah, he was the producer in the movie. Like it's him producing. It's so good. Oh, ah, I'm coming back in the comments and add it. I cannot think of the name of it. It's a couple years ago, and Sean Penn plays the actor. Like it's like all these cats. It's so funny and so mm-hmm. real. I hope everyone watches this movie once I remember the name. But he he has to like producers are psychologists. It just is what it is. If you want to learn how to be a better producer, read a psychology book. But he had to get this particular director to say yes to an edit, even though he hated it the way that like he made one ending. But the studios, everybody was like, we can't have this ending. It's offensive. They tested the movie and everyone in the movie theater were crying, not in a good way, crying like this is horrible. Like it was like a, the equivalent of like me, too. Like you you will be canceled. We all will be canceled. You cannot have this. <laughs> so he needed to change it. But he knew this creator was not going to be the guy that even like, look, the studio's on my back. They're going to rip the project. That didn't matter to him. That wasn't where he was at. But he told him, he's like, they're not going to love the dog. It's such a, a moment in this movie because he's like, he speaks to the why. They don't talk about this in the movie, but I was like, that's he's doing what I do. He said, mm-hmm. they won't like the dog if you end this way. They'll forget the dog. And the d- director's like, they'll forget the dog? like The reason he's telling him it needs to be changed because the studio and the, the test market, he doesn't care about the test market. He's one of those, he was one of those creatives that like, F everybody, this is what I'm making it for the people that get it. You know, those guys. We know those. But why do I need to put myself in, in opposition with that fight? That's an internal thing. I don't got nothing to do with that. I need the outcome. I need you to t- change the ending. So I'm just going to talk to your wife. They're not going to like the dog. They're not going to remember the dog. I'm going to remember the name of that movie, too. Wow. Yeah. Now, now that's something that I definitely have to look up so that I can go and watch it. Yes. So I, I wanted to ask you about protecting yourself as a writer or as a filmmaker or anyone in a creative space. And especially when you're first starting out, because normally when you're first starting out, you're so eager to want to jump into it head first that there are some things that you just overlook. Yeah. Yes. Posture is big. Posturing yourself to be bigger than what you are. And that's in writing. That's in anything. you got to posture yourself where you're going, not for where you are. So a lot of times, you know, the writers are like, please uh, read my script. It's like, stand up straight, have some value in yourself. And then when it comes to business and protecting yourself, you're protecting yourself. You're not saying yes to everything because you have value in yourself that's bigger than where you are. Stallone, I always bring him up. He He wrote Rocky. He was living in his car. They told him he could never direct it. He wouldn't act in it, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm sorry, not direct. He went and acted in it. He couldn't be the lead. He needed to change this. And he stuck to it. And he acted as if he was someone that was a sought after writer because he knew he had a great script. Now, some people hear that like, I got a great script. I have enough. That's not enough. But the point is he had posture of power when he had zero power. And this is not a fake it till you make it moment. This is a be it until you are it. Like be it. You know where you're going. You believe in yourself enough that you're offended that you're not able to get in these rooms or they won't read my script blah, 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 or whatever. Or you're e so eager. You're like, all I got to do is do this and then I'm going to get my big break. So that means you believe in yourself, even though you can doubt yourself sometime. If you think you're going to get a big break, you believe in yourself in some way. So while in the pursuit of that big break, you can't act like it. You got to you got to put yourself in the mindset of, of the next step and that that will help you get there. So. I, I can't be in a room saying, please, sir, can I have some more when it comes to my script if I'm trying to be the person that gets a yes? Because the only yes that comes for someone like this is, is charity. This is not a charity business. Nobody cares about you. A lot of people will. You will meet people that do, but you have to have that mindset. No one cares about me. They care about what I can do, right? Like we, we are selling what we do. So they care about that. So I have to make sure that feels just as powerful as what I know it can be if I get the right opportunity. The script is nothing until a producer puts some things in motion, there's money involved, it's nothing. You can have the best script in the world, you still need a yes from someone. So any type of psychology will tell you, and even probably everyone on this that's watching, I can't even see the thing, but everyone that's watching, they have been in a situation where they felt like, wow, I was really valuable in the way I presented myself. You shook a hand a certain way. You made a mm -hmm. joke. Whatever it is that you value about yourself when you interact, that's the same way you need to be when you're interacting about your work. I get so many emails, I kid you not, like the query emails. Oh my gosh, like, so I'm just like, I'm just starting out. Why are you telling, I don't need to, stop it. Like, I, it's not going to turn me off, but it's like, hey, why are you starting your email with, hey, just starting out or hey, just wanting to share. You're apologizing before you even open I'm your like, mouth. Why would I want to read more of this? Now, I'm not saying personally, but I am saying, like, let's be real here. Is that attractive? When you walk into a room, who's the most attractive person in the room? The most confident, the most in control. And you're presenting yourself as like a, a, a feather in the wind. Like, I'm just thinking maybe I'll reach out because maybe you'll read my script. Time out. No, I'm not. I'm not reading the script because I, I can't even like, I don't even know how to help you. Because right away, I'm going to respond. I'm not reading a script. I'm going to respond to you and say, hey, I want to help you. Please don't ever email someone like that again. Here are some mm -hmm. few prompts to think of for next time. So you're presenting, you have to present yourself even before the business protection. You have to present yourself as if you're someone because typically, you know, the sharks go for the slowest fish or whatever. Like you're not, we're not talking about people like that's out to get people, but you are presenting yourself to people that have to be using you, presenting you, capitalizing off of what you've already done as a writer. Everyone has to capitalize off of what you've done on your own. Writing sucks sometimes. Like writers, it's a, it's a hard world to be in, but everyone's going to capitalize for years off of what you did by yourself. You came up with this concept and you yourself wrote this down and you can't do anything with it. <laughs> That's this industry. You're not a painter. You don't now get to put it on the wall. Script means nothing. So you need these people. So present to those people with some form of attract uh, attraction like you're being attractive do i have time to share a story that got, oh please yes i'm um, on your time i'm on your time <laughs> i don't know what time it is i'm like I, I don't have my glasses. so it's almost seven o'clock okay <laughs> in the 60s 
uh, Rockefeller wanted, now everyone knows the Rockefellers, but you don't know where they were before the big money, mm -hmm. before they had all the power. What he wanted, Rockefeller wanted to be the guy in oil. He saw the vision. I know how my family is going to make it forever. I want to be in oil. Oil was shut down. We're not letting you in oil. The oil guys were the oil guys. They didn't want Rockefeller involved. So instead of Rockefeller fighting them, like, please, guys, I want to, I want a part of this. He was like, forget you guys, and went and bought railways. He because railways you could just buy. He bought it up. He all the money he had, he bought up railways. Why? Because the oil companies needed to move the oil on the railways. He made himself attractive to the things that he wanted to get. He didn't want railways, but that's what he needed to be attractive. So now the oil companies are like, he he sends a call out or whatever, and they're no, we don't we don't want to do business with you. Okay, well, just so you know, I just bought such and such. I'll be upping your fees. I'm doing it to everyone. No worries. I'm just presenting this to you. No worries about the oil. Oh no no no. Well, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. <laughs> So what can be attractive about you? No, you you probably don't have the money to buy up the, the network. That's the equivalent of our railways, right? But you do have the ability to look more attractive to someone that's a decision maker. And that's not just saying your script is great. That's one. But the way you present yourself, the way you present your script, yes. But also, what else have you done? What have you done in the meantime while not getting that big yes? What are the small things you were able to do on your own? So I went to, I'm thinking of what a writer might do. I went to such and such school. That's not always the way. I'm looking right into camera. That's not always the way. I went to such and such school and I was trained by this particular person. If you're wanting to go to school for writing or anything, find out who's going to be training you. Like, find that out. Because you can't brag about so-and-so and, -so and there, there are no one that has done nothing. You need to be trained by someone that has actually done something. If you're going to pay for an education, I don't want someone training me that has never done what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, Spike and different ones, they do these, like, you know, I, they still go and teach at NYU or, you know, USC. They have a bunch of people, that side of things. Also, you can say, oh, in the meantime, I wrote two shorts and they were produced by such and such or forget production. Maybe you don't have that ability to make those yeses even. You submit it to a bunch of, of, of script competitions, right? Real script competitions don't fall for the trap. Real ones that are vetted. You submitted it and you won. This happened to a, a writer, a friend of mine just recently. You won or you got honorable mention you're making it more attractive. You think that someone wants to read your 120 page script because it's good. I don't know you. So I don't know it's good and I don't know you can write. And even if it was good, I don't know if you're even somebody I want to take a journey with. So what makes me attracted to you is not your script first. It's the person. It's who you are and how you can be valuable. And then what your project is and how that can be valuable. So you're adding those things to your script, like submitting script compositions. You got so-and-so to read it. You some people see this stuff with like, oh, so-and-so reviewed this or so-and-so made a comment about this. It's like, man, they have ends in the industry. No, they might have just knocked on the door a hundred times asking everyone that they came in contact with on LinkedIn, please read my script, please read my script. Finally, someone's like, all right, fine, I'll read it. Wow, this is really good. Now I can say so-and-so said, wow, this is really good. That may not mean anything with money, but now I'm making myself more valuable. So bring it with mm -hmm. value. And if you're like, I can't do any of that, Rachel, I have not done any of that, still walk in the room like you have. Like you're validated by yourself. Get validated by your friend. Let your friend read it and just say, oh, wow, a lot of people have read this. It's me. It's my mom and my best friend. And they really love the passion behind it. Now you're saying something to me that's not you telling me it's a great story. The such and such character does X, Y, and Z. I'm like, but when I read at the beginning of your email, I have been, I've been putting, putting this through. I've been submitting it. And, and many people, many people, two people <laughs> have said, 
that the passion behind the main character hit them while reading it. It could have been your grandma that said it, but tell me in that email before you talk, start telling me the character goes on a life-changing journey because <laughs> it's like, I don't know who you are. Why would I want to like, I don't care about your characters. Like, and I'm saying again, not saying personally, this is speaking from an industry standpoint. So don't, a lot of times when I do interviews, people then send me e mean emails. You're mean. No, this is real. They're just not telling you. There's this not is the business. <laughs> this is real. This is the business because you know what? I get some of those and I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Hey, I'll get the email. Hey, watch my feature film. Why? Why? You didn't sell me on it at all. And then you come with the, hey, watch my, what? Have you ever even looked at one of my podcasts? Have you commented on anything on any of my social media platforms? But you hit me in my inbox like take. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> time is the one commodity that you can never recoup. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking me to do something like that, it better be worth my while. And, and another thing you just said about, you know, people saying something about the script, how passionate they were about it. Every time you watch a commercial, nine out of 10 doctors, who are those nine out of 10 doctors? You have absolutely no idea, but they throw that in there. Nine in out of 10 doctors recommended. You're like, damn, nine yeah. out of 10? <laughs> I don't think they, that's only ask, they only asked 10. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like, wow. So, okay, so that must be legitimate. But, yeah. um, oh, you said something. Oh, oh my gosh. I like that word, legitimate. Legitimize yourself through other people, not yourself. Yes, and also what you were talking about when the people are going into your direct messages, which I absolutely hate, but it happens. And I was listening to a gentleman on Clubhouse yesterday. There's a writer out of a Hollywood, Yvette Vargas, and she does a room on Clubhouse through Hollywood. She does it every Wednesday and she interviews different interesting people. And she had a gentleman in, in there yesterday. He's really big in tech. And he said something so profound because she said, well, what do you say to people that are, you know, really wanting to do things? And he said, green light yourself. Yeah. And that's basically what you just said. You're, you're hitting me in my inbox, but have you greenlit yourself? So let's say, for instance, I am interested because I am a big proponent of if you message me, the first thing that I'm going to do is look you up. Mm. Do you have a social media? Is there anything out there on you? And yeah. if I can't find anything, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna answer that. But enough of that. Yeah. Invade. 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 Your invade. newest, your newest in vain or is it invade? Uh, invade. Invade. And like invasion. Yes. Yes. What's going on with that? So I, I see you guys are, are are making some noise with yes. that short film. Invade is a uh, Eunice Levi's uh, creation. She is an amazing Afro Latina, and she she's a a beast. Like she writes sci-fi. That's a sci-fi. She writes genre films. She doesn't just stick to one thing. She's horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and this one particular is is a is an, um, a sci-fi. The short actually is a proof of concept. She mm. created a series. That's what Invade is. It's a series. And she submitted the the script for the series. Well, not the entire series, but the, the pilot and the plan to Sundance. And she won. Well, she oh, wow. finalized in 2020. It's finalizing at Sundance in other years. A lot of people know, like, you get a lot of calls, et cetera. But it was 2020. So not a lot happened. It was shut down. Not invade itself. But, you know, mm -hmm. not much happened because of that. But it's a huge thing to 
it's legitimate. It's legitimate. Sundance said this is good, right? So Eunice wanted to make a short um, proof of concept, um, which is the short to be able to sell this and make sure that there is, again, green lighting yourself. There is a something visual that people can understand what the series brings. It stars mm -hmm. Elvis Velasco, which what when she was writing for it, she actually wrote it with him in mind. Um, she didn't know him at the time. Wow. And she was able to slide in the DMs and make herself valuable and was able to actually land the actor she wanted. And now they work together uh, a lot and they're friends and all that stuff. But it started with her making herself valuable and reaching out. So Invade is an awesome story. I'm, I won't get into it. I know we're, we're low on time, but please go to the, to the Instagram, Invade underscore series, and you can see a little clip, et cetera. But right now, Eunice is a fellow of Netflix and Nalik for the year. And she was chosen out of tons and tons of, of, of writer directors. And she was chosen. And we were able to produce another short out of that incubator, which is Rowan the Stardust. That's the Oscar qualifying one. But in the meantime, Invade is now, you know, sought after. It mm. became valuable. And people are asking about it. People are wanting to meet about it. So in the new year, we'll be going to some meetings and 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 seeing what happens next. But it is... it. Look out for it. It will be a series one of these days. And it, we shot it, uh, the whole, the entire short, we shot it in Philadelphia using Philadelphia crew. Uh, like I said, Eunice, obviously the writer-director. And then we had a DP, Jason Chow from New York, come down and, and make it as well. So it was just a monster um, of a of a crew, a wonderful cast in Elvis Alasco and Justin De La Cruz. There's some other familiar faces in there, Chris Beatham and uh, Brian. So it's 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 great. It's a really, really fun film. It's um, a fun project, a fun film to watch, but also the, the big story of it. It's this sci-fi that surrounds Afro-Latinos. And we don't see ourselves that much in sci-fi, especially as the writer-director being a woman, a Black woman that wrote this, created it, grew it in her amazing brain. So yeah, we're excited about what's to come next. I'm like saying it without saying it, but good things are coming. That's awesome. So I'm excited to be talking to her Sunday. Yes. And then I get to interview her next week. So I yes. am so hyped about that. And then I'm going to have to have you both on the show because <laughs> I, want to, I want to get all sides of this project yes. that you guys put together. But we're, we're almost done because I know you have to run. So what's next before we let you go? Yeah, so I know we, I mentioned Rowan the Stardust. Rowan the Stardust is in its festival run right now, as well as Invade. And I just wrapped on a feature a few months ago. I'm going to pre-pro for a feature. So those things happen throughout, but Rowan the Stardust, we're really proud of it. It's now Oscar qualified because we won a festival that is an Oscar qualifying festival. So in the new year, we'll be rolling out a, an Oscar qualification is for 2024 Oscars. So the, the year leading up to that 2023, We'll be on our campaign to try and push this to be nominated and then hopefully get to the Oscars. So Ro and the Stardust is also Eunice Levi's. I don't want to say too much about it because she's coming on next week. So thank you for having her. But I will say that it's it's just a it's a beautiful story. And she'll tell why she wrote it and how she wrote it. But I will say that me as a woman, it's three, the main cast is three black women that all speak Spanish. They are Dominican beautiful. women. Beautiful. And I'm I'm Jamaican, but being a Caribbean person, I really connected to Dominican culture, but also it's beautiful to see. I know growing up, I remember this moment um, in high school where a friend, I had two Dominican friends and I remember someone saying like, yeah, but so-and-so looks Dominican. What? And so we have this, we even as black people have bought into this idea that Spanish speaking people are a certain look. 
Spanish people, a Spanish speaking person can look exactly like your uncle so-and-so if you're African-American. Mm -hmm. We need to understand it's the same people. We come from the same stuff. So when we're speaking Spanish on film, you see these black women speaking Spanish and that's their native tongue. It's changing, you know, a narrative. It's changing an understanding to where it's not just, and I don't, I'm not downing Telemundo, but that's mostly what we saw Spanish, at least my generation, Spanish speaking mm -hmm. shows and stuff. It's a certain look that they went mm -hmm. for. But oh, of there's course. a whole other part of that. <laughs> so I love just having these black women on, on film, but also that they're speaking their native tongue. It's it's bilingual. It's not just Spanish, Spanish and English. And on top of it, we built a rocket for this short. Okay. Oh, wow. So like it's the whole movie revolves around aged grandmother who is wanting to launch herself into outer space using the help of her daughter, her granddaughter, Ro, mm. Ro in the Stardust. So it's a multi-generational film. It's a multicultural film, multilingual film. It's so many things that connect with so many people. And it's just a dope story. And I can't wait till Eunice gets on because I don't want to tell, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I want the creator to be able to talk about it fully, but it's, it's, it's awesome. So follow that too, if you can, and I'll put it in the comments later, but Ro underscore Stardust. It's a beautiful film. So support it, follow the journey because it's year to come. We need everyone to like pump this thing up and get us to the Oscars. A, um, a film made by a beautiful creative, Eunice Levi's, which you will meet next week. A black woman, someone with a very, in, I mean, you know, all these checking boxes of like right. what minority. She's just a really, really cool creative. Mm -hmm. with a very interesting uh, perspective and a very interesting mind, which does have to do with the fact that she grew up in a certain place and grew up being a woman and grew up speaking two languages and you know all these things so and on top of it it's it's fun it's 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 a rocket ship so i can't awesome. wait everyone gets to see it so where can everyone find you on social media Me need people following you most people know I'm not the best at social media but you can follow me at uh at Rachel NFL on oops my phone's ringing at Rachel NFL on Instagram and then on Facebook. I'm just, it's just my name, Rachel K. O'Foury or Rachel K. Frazier. And that's, yeah, that's well, how you Wait a minute. Don't you have another page on Instagram? Oh, my company. Yes. My company is The Audacity. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> at The Audacity Inc. And we love you to go to our website, theaudacityinc.com. That is where you can get any updates as well as all the social media platforms for Rowan the Stardust. We have another film, 30 Weeks, that um, was in its festival run this year. Um, another film coming out soon, and then another film going through uh, pre-production. And then, oh, another film that was in its festival run this year, too. Also, another Eunice film was, um, actually, I'm sorry, I've got a message on my screen. Okay. I, I never mind. But yeah, so we have we have lots of lots of projects, but you can read all about that on our website and, and on Instagram and things like that. So follow us and find out more. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you're definitely going to have to come back because we didn't even talk about your production company. Yes, this is true. How much time? We, we got like 10 minutes. Oh, shoot. Well, let's talk about the Audacity Inc. I see. Because I, I, I know you have you have an event that you have to go to. Yes. You know, I didn't want to keep you. But yeah. So 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 how did that concept come about? Ladies and gentlemen, you're getting 10 bonus minutes. How did that? <laughs> how, how did you? come up with the concept for starting your company and the name the yeah I, absolutely i always wanted to have my own company because i you know as a producer i'm a freelance producer for sure but also i like i'm a team builder like i i have my own vision of what i want for my sets to look like what 
I want distribution to look like, how I want to interact with the company. And, you know, as of any production company, you have to interact with other companies, whether it be a distrib distributor, another production company, a network, whatever. So that entity being the audacity, we're audacious, we're bold, we take bold steps, we make bold content, we don't shy away from things that a lot of people do because, not because they're scared, but because they're not the ones that should be using that voice. You know, I think that authenticity is everything in the, in in yourself and in what you do. And authentically, we're very bold in what we do. So the audacity is literally that. It's like when someone says something to you that's shocking, you go, the audacity. <laughs> so when we're making films, we're saying something in those films. When we're making projects, when we're doing our documentaries, we're saying something. And it might take you back a bit. It might be like, wow, but that is art. If it's okay. not affecting someone, right. what are you making it for? If you're not having a reaction, that's why it's like, you know, People like when the, the, the audience is laughing, booing, whatever, it's great because they're having a reaction. Something in them is connecting with it, you know, that thing. So we are audaciously going into that space and making sure that whatever the message is, you're going to feel it. You're going to have a reaction to it. So that's that's our company. And we we specialize in original content. We don't do commercial work. We support other companies in, in uh, commercial work. We do consulting. We do pre-production. We also do post-production for some big names. I've done post-production through WarnerMedia, Adobe, Pretty Damn Sweet is one of the Philadelphia companies that we've served. We also have done post-production silently. A lot of projects that we got to help out on that were not listed. I'm totally for that because that pays the bills and also brings in more money to make our own stuff. But we have consulted and post-produced on a lot of big projects to be able to grow as a company, to be able to make money and always be able to create. And my, my goal in life is to always be able to give jobs, always be able to pr pr build a safe space, but also a place that is giving opportunities to anyone that comes in contact with it. And that's what we do at The Audacity. Everyone that has come through it in some way, whether it was an intern, a project, whatever, my goal is to always that something grows from it. And if you are open to it and if you're ready for growth, because everyone isn't, that will happen when you deal with us because we're audaciously going through through spaces and we're always taking the next step over and over again. I'm going to have to send you my resume next year. <laughs> I'm, re I'm, I'm retiring. <laughs> I'm all for it, Floyd. Let's I'm, work together, man. Hey, I am, I'm sending my resume. But you know what? But with, with, with your company, is, is that basically the first step because I know you want to one day build a major studio. Yes. So is this the first step in that actually actually coming to fruition? Because I know it's going to happen. And a lot. Of, well, thank you. I, I accept that, and we putting that into the universe. But yes, I, absolutely. You have to. You have to. A lot of people treat themselves like a business, but those are the creatives. Whenever I talk to someone, like, hey, treat yourself like a business. That's your. I'm talking to a writer. I'm talking to a director. Everyone else, you need to own IP. You need to own outside of because you're not creating your own thing. If you're a producer or a cameraman, you're not always making just your own thing. The way you attach yourself in a uh, in the chain ch chain of title is not usually yourself. You need to attach a production company to that. So when Netflix or Hulu or Fox, when they're going to buy what you made or buy a script or buy whatever, you need to attach things that will go with it forever. And it's really hard to attach a person that didn't write it at the top. But it's very easy to say this production company made this. So what's happened so far happened. And that's why I operate only as a production company. I don't operate as myself. Even when I'm producing, like the last film I produced, I was a producer for hire uh, for a film called Three Birthdays. I was a producer for hire, but I did everything, paperwork, every single thing I did 
was through the audacity. Why? Because people, you know, you should be growing your, you know, your popularity. But the audacity is an entity that has a track record of producing and making things happen, getting deals, making someone's creative come to fruition, whatever. That's great. Me having the same is great too, but the audacity is an entity. It has ownership bigger than I can have. It has the ability to get on the chain of title higher than I can. So a writer and a production company can be equal. A writer and production company, a writer can be down here. But me as a producer, I need to hire myself to make the thing happen later. But when mm -hmm. we're just talking about business, you have to do it as an entity. We don't have really time to dig into that, but that is something I would say for anyone that's like trying to do something, get yourself. I, I don't I don't champion the LLCs, but LLCs are very good. Get yourself an LLC or a, corp, or a, a C Corp, whatever it is that you can get today and start operating in that space because you're going to be more legitimized. You're going to be knocking on more doors, even if it's just you and that company. Like the audacity was an idea. I actually said it to someone back in, in uh, 2008. I said, audacity, when they said something to me creative, I was like, wow, I read a poem they wrote. I said, the audacity, and that's when the, the idea was birthed. But I bought the 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 um, corporate incorporate then. I didn't wait until we were a company, you know, until mm -hmm. things were happening. But now you're able to, again, adding value. If you're someone that's trying to do something and have some power in this industry, I don't want to just see you. I need to see a company. You know, everybody that wants to talk about, okay, Ava, da, 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 like, these people that are like fun to talk about and fun to say, wow, they're so great today. What production company do they do their work through? It's mm -hmm. a ray. And now you have sponsors that can tie themselves to something that is solid because you're a person. You're never going to be as solid as a corporation. Absolutely. You, can have a, you can have a baby. You can have a, a tragedy. You can pass away. But a corporation is something that can last. And, a, and another corporation respects that more and can do business differently than doing business with just a person. So the audacity came because that was necessary, but also building all the way up obviously to a studio and, and having, you know, first look deals and all the things that we want. It's better that it's it's the audacity than me. It's, it's more solid, it's more powerful and it can do more than I can do. And it takes all the liability away from me. Okay, you need Playing to say around. that again because <laughs> around with that. I had to tell some filmmakers Okay, I did a post the other day because I do a lot of posts and I talked about that. Hmm. If you're on a set, are you insured? And is it is it you or is it your company? Because if it's you and somebody falls, they're coming after you. Yep. But if it's your company, they go after your company and your private assets remain your private assets. But yes. if somebody and I'll give you an example, I, I do a film, I do a film uh, festival online. And uh, one of the films that we saw, the gentleman said uh, he, he did a skateboard film and one of the actors actually fell off the skateboard and broke their wrist. Yeah. But he said, you know, we was cool. So dude went through his insurance and everything. I said, yeah, that's fine. Mm. You got lucky. Yes. <laughs> I said, you got very lucky. I said, because he could have sued your ass from left to right. Yeah. And he would have been well within his rights to do so. Mm -hmm. I told filmmakers all the time. Love this like a hobby, but treat it like a business. Absolutely. Because if you are not treating it like a business and something happens on your set and it's just you filming, everything that you own, they can come and take it. Yes, absolutely. So with you saying, you know, what you said about your company, 
it carries more weight with another company if they see an entity that's yeah. actually doing things as opposed to, and you know, look, I've known Rachel for a couple of years, Rachel's fired, but the Audacity Incorporated would carry more weight because again, yeah. as you said, it's a corporation. Yes. So if a company, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we about to do some master classes here. We gonna, we're going to let you get out here. <laughs> if the corporation is looking at you as a, as a person, now they're looking at liabilities. What if something happens? Just like you said, she may have a baby. She may have this, or he may do that. But your company, on the other hand, if I am dealing directly with your company, that takes on a whole different yeah. thing. So, oh my gosh, do I have do I have time for one more question? Yeah, you do. Okay. How important is it for filmmakers to treat this as a business? It's everything because it is a business. It's everything. It's when you look at talking about reading books, sometimes you just read books so you can end up getting a story to validate what you already have heard. And you look at the artists of our times, the ones that we still talk about, or even scientists that we still talk about, like, you know, this whole Tesla versus Einstein, like, you know, all these, these, these arguments people have now, and they're pretty funny. It's like, it's not about who's the most talented that wins usually when it comes to art, sciences, and so forth. It's about who is able to get the most money, the most people believing in them, the most excitement. And that is business. That is strategy. That is the ability to influence people. That has nothing to do with your art. Now, your art has to be good to go to a certain level. But as we see, so many people watch a film like, how did that get through? Because they played the game and they did business and you didn't. You're still perfecting that same script that you think is the like masterpiece of the world, but you haven't learned how to shake a hand and ask for something and present yourself valuable and know how to set up that script to be protected in a way. Now you can't all, you can't hundred percent protect your script. I'm just going to say that, but you do everything you can. So if someone does do something, you at least have something to bring to court. You do have a, a, a foot to stand on to say that, no, this was my idea. So all these things on why so many people failed or never reached their height when they were the most talented, they were the most creative, they were the most brilliant. The reason they didn't make make it to be in those conversations we're having now about the past or the present, whatever, are because they are the ones that did not learn the business. They always treated it like they were painting at home. And I always use painting because it's the easiest way to understand, like you're painting, right? Beautiful. Put it up on your wall. It doesn't mean anything. So someone spends money to put it up on their wall. That's what this business is. You are paying, you are doing the work so someone can pay you to put it up on that wall, AKA theater or wall, AKA your computer screen. It is not about you making this brilliant thing and just like, wow, I'm brilliant. Oh, wow, this is beautiful. Someone's gonna give me a chance because it is. No, they aren't. They need to be able to put it up on the biggest wall they can and get as many people to see it. So it needs to hit the culture in a way that affects them and is their wise and is their interest, not about you. It's this humbling thing when a writer, I'm, I've been, it's so many times, because a lot of people know I do consulting. That's literally a big part of my my job outside of like a lot of, I produce films, yes, but then I'm consulting on at least five at a time or five artists at a time, et cetera. And I remember, I can look at each artist that I know that I've seen in their rise. And I remember the moment when they realized their insignificance. And it's the most debilitating, heartbroken, but powerful place 
to realize your insignificance because if you don't stay there like, oh, I don't mean anything. It's now, you know, it's not just this. It's not just me. It's all of this. And I need to fit into that. And the way you do that is business. The way you do that is selling. The way you do that is influence. It's not your art. So it's two, it's two parts to this. It's a very weird. And I, and I love you. Every creative that's watching this, that's cringing and rolling their eyes at me. It's beautiful what you do. It's amazing. And it's why we do what we do. It's why I get up. I want people to experience art. But this business is unlike any other. It is not a singular person in this industry that does it alone. It's not a singular, singular person that has a chain of title that is just all them. This person option, this person said yes, this person took it to this network, this person came on as an EP, chain of title, uh, Google if you don't know that, that phrase. But knowing that to be able to get it for an audience, our industry is the longest way from art, like creation, someone writing or idea, whatever, to getting someone to see it. And there's so many people involved in that. So you need to protect yourself for every single notch on that chain of title. So you need to do business. And I, I hate, though, for someone then to hear that and get discouraged and think while they're writing, they need to think business. Don't do that. Write, tell your, be true to yourself, be expressive. But when you start getting others to read it or when you start looking at what's being put up and what's being said yes to on the screen and you get discouraged, like they don't know what's good. No, they, they this is what's good right now. So how do you fit in? What changes you now need to make or what people do you need to get on your side that can advocate for you enough to keep the, the, the spirit of your story? But make a few changes that are going to get it to be able to be actually seen on the wall. So it's business and there, there's advocacy, people protecting you. There's law involved. There is WGA rights involved. There is copyrights involved. There are distributors involved. There are aggregators involved. Are we saying anything about art when we're saying all these words that what it takes to get it on a, a wall? The art is such a small part. It's such a small part, even though it's the part that we now experience and someone takes in. It's such a small part of the process. And that is why when you look at the credits, it's the writer, yeah, but like, who are all these other people? Especially the one where it goes into the studio and their huge team, the EPs, the producers, the forget all the other, everybody understands crew. Like you get at ADs, et cetera, but all these other people. And then at the end, you got to thank all these people. That's not their mom and dad. Those are people that have helped them along the way in a way that they need to thank them so they can get more money out of them. They can get more opportunity. They can get more, like someone opening the door or someone feeling like, wow, they appreciate what I did. Let me see what else I can do for them. This is, a, this is not a art piece moment when you're talking about the film industry. You do your art when you're by yourself writing your script. You do your art when you're in the editing room deciding on what, you know, what feels the best when this music comes in. But everything else is business. Everything else is playing the game. And you don't have to like the game. You don't have to say, this is who I am. You stay your creative self. You stay who you are. You don't change it. But you need to be able to know the rules to play the game enough to get your art seen, to get your art on the wall, to get someone to say yes and to protect you and to advocate for your voice to be valuable. Wow. Masterclass, Masterclass ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The last 10 minutes was the best 10 minutes. And you know what? Hey, straight up. Erica Badu says, I'm an artist. I'm sensitive about my shit. But guess what? She knows how to read a contract. Oh, <laughs> and she knows how to market, too. Erica Absolutely. Don't... When you can do a like, video, look, you your clothes off. Come on now. Come on. Erica's so, a good so, example. That's a masterclass yeah. right there. Erica Badu, yeah, but, masterclass. But just don't get it twisted. Be a creative, yes. but be a creative with a business mindset. 
Yep. I, you know what? We're going to close. But this is what I tell filmmakers. You're not, you're not, you're not filmmakers, but you're in the business of making films. Mm. And there's a big difference because when you shift that mindset to you're in the business of making films, everything that you just said takes on so much weight because yes, you, you, you are a creative, but like with every other company, ladies and gentlemen, it's a product. Yep. Product. It's a product. Don't believe me. Sit in a movie theater and watch trailers yep. for films that ain't coming out to 2025. Boom. They are preparing the market yep. for the product that they are about to sell you. Absolutely. And if you are not approaching it from that standpoint, you will be on the sidelines forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. <laughs> forever, ever. Right. <laughs> Rachel, this was absolutely amazing. We had so many comments. I can't even scroll back. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I guys. Back. I didn't have my, my glasses on. You, you know, but Brandon was here. Karen, oh, Derek. Hansen. We had some phenomenal people in the building. We thank you guys so much yeah. for joining us on this absolutely amazing conversation. Trust and believe Rachel will be back. She definitely has to come back because there is so much that I did not get to ask you. And, uh, you know, I like to get information for it free as much as I possibly can then i can <laughs> share it. It with other people but exactly. rachel thank you so much thank you so much i look forward to seeing you on uh sunday and uh, ladies and gentlemen if you like this this episode please do your do me a favor subscribe to the podcast on apple yes. podcast and all that other good stuff watch it on youtube so i can get those uh, youtube hours but more importantly more importantly really really seriously Please share this. Please, please share this because you have so many filmmakers that just don't know how this process really works. And one of the reasons that I do this podcast with people such as, as Rachel is I want filmmakers to be armed with the best information yeah. possible. And this last hour and 28 minutes and 54 seconds has been some of the best information that that, you know, I've actually had the privilege of being a part of, of, of sharing. And that, that's a part of service. That's a part of service. So ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you so much for being here. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. I will see you on Sunday. I'm going to let you go because I know you know you were moving in a shaker, so you got to get the moving and you got to get the shaking. But ladies and gentlemen, as I always say, love this like a hobby, but treat it like a business. To your success. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. And tune in next week for Eunice Levi. She's, she'll blow your mind. I can't wait for that one. I'm tuning in. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hi, Pamela. All right. Are we all?